Well, it's not Tuesday, uh, but it is Mobility Makers, and uh, a special edition of Mobility Makers. Since I was off on Tuesday, we thought that we would uh, uh, kind of do it, as always, and it's um, brought to you by Bridgestone. Uh, whatever the new forms of transportation may be, it will be on wheels, and Bridgestone will be there. Uh, the big news today came from a, a study that was released at midnight that tries to wrap its arms around just how destructive this semiconductor challenge has been for the automotive industry. And our friends at Alex Partners have done just that. And it's an eye-opening look at the consequences of it. Dan Hirsch is the Managing Director in the Automotive and Industrial Practice uh, Department at the uh, global firm of Alex Partners, and uh, he joins us live this afternoon. Dan, good of you to be with us. Yeah, great great to be here. Thanks for having me. So the the bottom line is is that the financial consequences of this is double what we originally anticipated. Uh, yeah, for twenty twenty one for sure. Um, you know, we, when we started looking at this back in January, we had a, a what now seems like a modest impact forecast of sixty billion dollars. Um, since then, we had to revise it in, in May because of the problems with Winter Storm Yuri, with the, the fire in Japan, uh, and some other issues that kind of continued to pop up. But at that point, you know, we had some what we thought were fairly reasonable expectations that uh, the labor market would get back to normal, that people were getting vaccinated, that uh, that COVID would, would kind of come under control, that the, all the transportation issues that we've experienced would mitigate and uh, exactly zero of those things have happened. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're still having lockdowns in, in Southeast Asia, where many of these chips come from. We still can't ship things very effectively. We have other material shortages, and we're having trouble running the plant. And so where we had expected to be able to start playing catch up and even run the plants a little bit hot, we don't have the people, we don't have the materials, we don't have uh, hardly any of the things that we need to make that happen now. So the number that you're putting on it is over $200 billion in lost revenues that we have seen evaporate as a result mm-hmm. of this. In terms of lost production, if we were yeah. looking at an annual um, unit volume of, what, $17 million is, is kind of what was considered to be a good year uh, domestically, what are we looking at? Uh, yeah, so for so we haven't looked at it too closely by region, but we think uh, production for North America, or you know, so that includes what's in North America that gets exported, but also what's uh, imported into North America, probably less than 16 million um, at this point, and uh, you know we're at the point where this is starting to impact sales. Um, you know, we we had very robust inventory starting. Early last year, at the beginning of the pandemic, we've we've eaten through those, uh, and we're now you know around very close to the 20 day mark, which we want to be in the 50 to 60 day area right. uh, to have kind of a, and so you've seen that with pricing, you've seen that with availability. Uh, if you drive by dealer lots, they're often uh, quite sparse. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to call them the good old days, but we remember when the big problem was that you had too many automakers throwing cash on the hood and really um, diluting uh, the value of their product and, and diluting the value of the market and pulling ahead sales. Um, now we've got the, uh, the opposite consequence. But when you look at $200 billion in lost mm-hmm. revenue, what are the long-term consequences of that? And who pays the price? Is it shareholders? 
Is it employees in their bonuses and profit sharing, or is it all of the above? Well, I'll tell you, a lot of it gets eaten up by the suppliers. Um, so the automakers have actually seen uh, a bit of an offset uh, in terms of better pricing. They've been able to charge higher pricing, not give all of those incentives that you've mentioned. However, they're also taking quite a hit on, on material costs. You know, we, we also estimate that the, uh, the impact of, of higher raw material costs could be as big as, as 120 to $150 billion dollars. Um, based on where steel, aluminum, plastic, and others are. Mm-hmm. So um, the automakers are, are going to start hurting. Dealers are doing quite well, uh, but if they can't sell vehicles, if they don't have anything to sell, they're going to start hurting. But it's the suppliers and the employees right now that, have, uh, that are probably taking the brunt of this. Is there also a concern that with a $200 billion hole to fill, that your capital sources for expenditures like electrification, investment in product development and autonomy, the big scale stuff that, you know, has been in the works now for a decade, do those priorities get shortchanged? Um, pr- probably not, only because the balance sheets are really quite strong. Um, there, There is great availability to capital right now. Um, so... Uh, you'll you'll see pockets. There will certainly be companies that don't aren't in as strong a position, but most of the automakers are are in a pretty healthy position. A lot of them did see some of this coming. There's been uh, a great amount of of uh, government uh, support for programs for to, to maintain employment, and so we don't we don't think that'll happen just yet. I know that it's a little bit like whack-a-mole. I mean, that you will have outbreaks in Malaysia and Vietnam, and then you've got product shortages, uh, supply shortages coming from there. But then, you know, the virus and the Delta variant will move to another locale and and create another problem in in another area. Long-term, is this going to change the sourcing patterns? Or will will most companies just look at this as a temporary aberration and say, you know, it's going to work its way through, but we're not going to change our whole supply network based on one pandemic? Yeah, I, I would say that the trend was already toward localization for, for a number of years. You know, we've been talking about nearshoring since probably 2015, just because the, the economic factors, you know, labor costs, the, the higher cost of transportation um, started to really preference more domestic uh, supply, um, you know, certain administrative actions, uh, the, the Section 232 and Section 301 tariffs have also, you know, pushed more toward localization. This type of, uh, this type of, you know, global pandemic, the issue, the, the long transportation line is not what caused this. And being entirely local wouldn't have necessarily uh, mitigated this either. I mean, remember that one of the biggest problems that we had sure. was Winter Storm Uri, and that was an entirely a domestic problem. Right. Well, I, I know that COVID's done a great job of slamming a hammer onto your crystal ball, but as you yeah. look forward, um, when do you see us getting, you know, we were supposed to be back to normal, whatever that may mm-hmm. be, in August. Right. When do you see this abating? Um, so, so I always put the asterisk on this one. If nothing else terrible happens, uh, it still looks like Q2. And I, this is the problem. This is the big problem, right? There's there's no there's nothing left to absorb shocks in the system. There's not there's no excess inventory. Right. Uh, all of the normal things where you can just kind of recover and you know get steel from another company, get some resin from someplace else in an emergency. 
that's all gone, right? It's very hard to to uh, react quickly using the conventional tools that we're used to. And so every little thing is it creates much bigger waves throughout the supply chain, and that's a big part of the problem. We don't see this getting a lot better until Q2. Um, you know, we we see that it's going to be tight. We know we're talking to steel mills and and steel companies. Uh, their capacity is not going to be enough uh, for quite a while. And so, you know, if things go well, it's Q2. And if thing if other uh, blips happen, if other if we have another winter storm type issue, yeah. if we have more COVID lockdowns. That will just make it worse and, and extend it and potentially make it deeper. Well, we'll tighten our belts and wait for Q2. Dan Hirsch, we thank you so much. Thank you. You're on News Talk 760 WJR. When we come back, the new booster protocols and how to weather that.